psychotic geeks obsessed with every little detail. It'll never get on the air. Well, I think it's good for a show to go off the air before it becomes stale and repetitive. I've just been informed that we are going off the air. Off air with Emily and Catra. What's your username mean? Are you ready? Yeah. It is from Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, the movie. Okay. Uh, Ivan, he's 12 now, so when he, from like the ages of like, I mean, I would say birth, but I mean, newborns just don't sleep, but Mm -hmm. like two years old to, he was in like first grade. He only slept like two or three broken hours in a 24-hour period, even for the first couple of years of school. Um, so I loved him dearly and he was a super cute kid. Like it was definitely brown skin and big old brown eyes and, yeah, you know, just, just a, a cutie. Yeah. So it's a good thing because if he was like kind of ugly, I probably would have killed him. <laughs> <laughs> I was so tired. Oh, I can Anyway, imagine. we watched Claudia with the me- Chance of Meatballs a lot and mm-hmm. there is this scene in it where the mayor keeps eating everything. He starts out real skinny and he rolls up on, you know, it rains food. Mm-hmm. It always makes him want to eat cheeseburgers, not meatballs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, the mayor pulls up on his, like, scooter, like a hover-round type. Yeah. And he said, I want people to look at me and say, that is one big mayor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, only, like, one person in my life, her name is Michelle. She's passed away from breast cancer. Beautiful Aww. woman, mom, and great friend. Um, and uh, she's the only person that's ever been, like, Hold the phone. Is that from? Is that from this? And I know it's because she has kids my age, and she was probably forced to watch it, too, to death. Because it's not one of those, it's not Shrek, you know? It's not one of those movies that people watch, but that was just the one. I've seen it, I think, twice. But, I mean, it's. We, oh, my gosh, I could quote that whole movie. I love Bill Hader. I love him. My little brother was like that with Finding Nemo. Yeah. So, I, I feel that, but with Finding Nemo. But with Finding Nemo. Yeah. yeah. I feel like Finding Nemo, there's probably better quotes from it. I don't mm-hmm. know. Cloudy with the Chance of Meatballs was not, was not a super popular one. Yeah. But it should have been because it was great. It was really good. And when he tells Sam to take her hair, um, to put her hair back up in the ponytail and the glasses, and he was mm-hmm. like, oh, she's beautiful. I was like, oh, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's real cute. Anyway. Um, hello. Hi. I'm Emily. I'm Patra. This is Off Air with Emily and Patra, and we're back for another episode. Oh, my God, we are. Okay, so we've gotten, like, a lot of traction on Facebook, and I really appreciate it. I do, too. Like, a super lot. All you people that like us on Facebook and the, like, three of you that listen, can you (laughs) go make sure you are, like, reviewing and Mm -hmm. sending lovely messages on through, like, iTunes or wherever you're listening because that helps us kind of realize and know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you don't like it, just be like, mm, didn't really like that episode because of this. Yeah, constructive, tell us. Constructive criticism. I'll take it. I mean, m- give me a couple of days because I'm PMSy right now, but then con- hit me with the constructive I mean, Pat- criticism. Patrick doesn't see any of it, so I can <laughs> I can filter through if you need to. <laughs> <laughs> be like, Patra is the worst, but don't tell her until like next Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, we're doing this, obviously, for us because mm-hmm. this is something we like each other and we like to hang out and, uh, and yeah. it's just something else that we can have. Take two hours out of our yeah. <laughs> work week and bullshit around. We're like, we're working and we shut the door and people are like, yeah, they seem too happy in there. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Best part of the week. But we also are doing this for you because 
there's a lot of true crime people out there. Yeah. And what what the hell? Why not another true crime podcast? Like, you don't remember, but, like, in the 80s when, like, the miniseries were coming out, like, mm-hmm. all these, like, Lifetime was big, that sort of thing. It was, like, weird to like true crime. Now, yeah. now it's, like, it's you're allowed. It's weird to not like yeah. true crime. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about it. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. We're not in hiding anymore. So I changed to work out before because it's if I feel like I'll go work out, then I'll go work out, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm, like, I'm in my workout clothes, I'll go. Yeah. I really want to go home and lay on my bed for, like, 40 minutes at noon. Mm-hmm. It was, I have been sleeping so good the past couple nights, but... I'm sleeping so good that when Mm -hmm. my alarm goes off, I'm, like, still dead-ass tired. Yeah. You know? And I've been, like, sleeping real hard all through the night, which normally I wake up at least once or twice. I'm a light Mm -hmm. sleeper, so if Christopher moves or coughs or sneezes or whatever or breathes on me the wrong way, I'm, Mm -hmm. like, awake, you know? Is he a light sleeper at all? No, not really. I mean, kind of. Like, if I, like, got up and started making noise, he'd wake up. Right. But— I can, like, nudge him a couple times because he's snoring and he's still snoring. Yeah, he's still. Yeah. So it it just, it kind of depends, I guess, on what's happening. Right. You know? Okay. Around him. But I've been sleeping real good the past couple nights. But when my alarm goes off, I'm like, oh, fuck. And this morning was especially <laughs> bad. The past two mornings, so Monday and Tuesday, mm-hmm. my alarm, I wake up, I still listen, or I still have my alarm set to, WICR where at school because mm-hmm. they play it's classical music in the morning oh. so it's real I get I cannot listen to music right away right Christopher has it set to like 107.9 which is like the it's the mix mm-hmm. in indie and it's basically what we play so you wake up one morning to like Paramore screaming in your ear nice or like <laughs> Bruno Martin it's just like oh, can't I cannot can't so do I it. listen to classical music and usually at whatever time I wake up, mm-hmm. it's nice and, sl- like, soft. But I, since I'm a light sleeper, I can hear it, and I can gotcha. get up from that. But the past two mornings, Monday and Tuesday, I have woken up and, like, literally jumped out of my skin because my alarm scared the shit out of me. It's on the, it's on the same <laughs> volume, same station, and it's, like, I've been waking up to that since since I started school at UND. Oh so gosh. for at least almost three years— and these past two mornings, the only time in the past three years that my mm-hmm. alarm has scared the shit out of me. And it's like, it's I guess it's because I'm sleeping hard enough that I'm sleep sleeping through that first initial quiet and then it gets right. louder. Ooh. And then it hits, you know, it hits that dramatic clunk right. or whatever. Right. And I'm like, oh <laughs> it's a mess. Yikes. So yeah, I'm I feel you. Like this morning I got I got here at 10 30 or 5 30 mm-hmm. and I sat out in my car for another 15 minutes like with my eyes closed oh. and I was like I cannot I'm just like I'm so fucking tired it's a do you get tired driving I am really bad someday sleepy someday. driver when I was doing the morning show mm-hmm. I got I would get tired and sometimes yeah. sometimes <clears throat> I would get like scary tired yeah like, I'm like oh fuck like we're gonna go see School of Rock the Musical in Indy next week, mm-hmm. and it starts at seven thirty p.m. Mm-hmm. That ride home, the kids will have to be like screaming, singing songs with me. You're to keep gonna me have awake. to go home like three hours early that day. Take a nap. Take a nap, and then get ready to go. Yeah, but yeah, I'm like some days. It's this morning. I was starting to feel it when I got closer here. Thankfully, mm-hmm. it was closer. But I since I started this position or since I started these new hours Mm -hmm. I haven't had that problem but sometimes when especially when we were doing the morning show together I was like yeah yeah man yeah 
But usually I don't get that tired. That's good. Um, there's been one time that I've had to pull over and take a nap. Mm-hmm. Not like on my way to work. But, right, right. But obviously, I mean, three-hour drive north and three-hour drive home. Yeah. If I go and see my parents or whatever, um, my family. Mm-hmm. And there's been one time I've had to pull over on my way home because I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I was like, Yikes. I've got to, yeah. I have got to take a nap. And it was kind of scary because I was in the I was by <laughs> the, the, the prison in Peru. <laughs> There's a BP that's basically right outside the property lines or whatever, right? And that's like the halfway point, and that's the only spot <clears throat> that's like really Safe-ish. public. Yeah, you know. There's other obviously other gas stations and stuff on the way, but those gas stations are like not name brand gas stations, not like okay. Speedway or BP or Shell or something. It's like. Um, like Gary's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gary's Pump like, and Go, and you're like, oh, yeah, I don't want to go to that. Not no. gonna take a nap in Gary's Pump and Go, Pump and Go's <laughs> fucking parking lot. So I pulled in there, and I pulled in right next to a barrier. So like my driver's side door was next to this barrier. Smart. And then I obviously locked my car. I made sure it was right. locked. But I was like, it was still. It took me a minute to kind of fall asleep to take a nap. Right. So like I'm in a gas station parking lot sleeping. Young girl, young girl in my car. Yeah, so it's kind of scary, but you could have been one of our stories in a second. I could have been, but (laughs) (laughs) I could have been one of I could have been somebody else's story about oh fatal accidents because stupid people fell asleep driving. That's true. Oh man, I have. I'm gonna die rather die in a die in that way than in a sleeping (laughs) accident. You don't want to be the assailant. You want to be the assailed, the victim. I don't want to be a victim ever. I'd rather die much boring, more boring than anything in the world. But yeah, if I had to choose between falling asleep in the car and getting murdered in a parking lot, mm-hmm. I if I get to the pickup line early, I'll set my the pickup line start to pick my son up. Mm-hmm. Um, it starts moving. He gets out of school at two thirty five, but the line doesn't start moving until two thirty eight. I will set my <laughs> I will set my alarm to two thirty eight. And mm-hmm. I'll—I mean, if it's seven minutes, I'm just like, oh, yeah. I can't help it. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, that afternoon, and by two thirty, I've been up like at least ten and a half, eleven hours. Yeah. So I'm tired, you guys. I'm mm-hmm. old. <laughs> I need rest. Yeah, I feel <laughs> my <that>. eyelids. <laughs> and it's like one of those things that I mean, now that I get off at three o'clock, mm-hmm. I get home by four, and I can take like a little quick nap before Christopher gets home. Yeah. But I don't. Right. I started. Full time here, December of 2017, and January like 10th of 2018, I started going to FXB. So it's like, oh yeah, I would come here, work all day until like two ish, um, mm-hmm. and then it's time to pick the kids up. So I'd go pick my son up. I'd come in back into town and pick my daughter up. But this is like an hour and a half of driving, waiting, driving, waiting. You know, mm-hmm. get everybody home, and then I have like 40 minutes until it's time to go to the gym. You can't nap. In mm-hmm. that little, you like, I could, but then I would you not could. work out. Yeah, you could, but you'd be so groggy if you woke <clears throat> up that your yeah. workout wouldn't happen successfully. I mean, there's just not enough time to get that nap in. So I don't know. I'm just, I fell asleep at eight last night. I was just like, bye. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> night. <laughs> oh, so good. That's funny. Anyway, I think my problem is, is we've been staying up a little later the past couple nights. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what's throwing me off. That's probably it. Look at your book of papers. I swear to God, dude. Oh, my gosh. Mine's only three and a half today. Well, I got a little, I got to pull something up because I 
I made I, a, I made an indentation, a little note for myself, like, oh, insert this here. Yep. I did too. Oh my But you can't look. Goodness gracious. <laughs> 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 okay. All right then. From me to me, I send myself the best stuff. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Um who went first? I did. No, you did. I did. Because I got to eat while you did stuff. Yeah. It was so good. While I did stuff. <laughs> while you worked. I just sat over here munching like, yeah? Okay. <clears throat> Are we ready? We're just getting right into it. Mine's sad again. I'm so sorry. It's, it's okay. I'm just in a sad mood. I don't know. I'm not sad myself, yeah. but sad stuff is, it's just, it's, is it, it for me right now. I watched, okay. I watched The Purge election year last night, oh, which is like you? the newest one. Yeah. And I loved it. I hate those movies so much because they're so stupid, but I loved it. You loved it, but you hate it. Yeah. Um, I have not seen The Purge election. It's election? Election year. Election year. Um, but I have seen the kill count of it on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the kill count on everything. Mm-hmm. So how you you enjoyed it? Yeah, I did. What was your favorite kill? <laughs> the they so there's a like a shop owner mm-hmm. like he owns like a little deli convenience store shop mm-hmm. and in the beginning of the movie this girl tries to steal a candy bar and they're like no right and then she's like you're really gonna do this tonight because it was like the purge started that mm-hmm. night and they're like yeah you're not stealing this <clears throat> damn candy bar and she leaves and then they come back with she comes back with all her friends right. And then um, later in the movie, she comes back again because I don't, I'm not going to give it all away. Okay. But she comes back again. And then this badass chick who's like, no, you're not stealing the candy bar, comes and runs over her two of her friends, like smashes them in between a car and a wall. And then they shoot, she shoots them, shoots them all. Mm -hmm. And then the one girl who's trying to steal a candy bar, she's like, gains consciousness because I think she was just shot in like, her arm or I don't right. remember where but she gains consciousness and this girl this badass girl turns back around and just goes and it shoots she shoots her right in the eye and it's uh, like the, it is good, it good. you like that she's just like instantly like dead yes yeah it was good it was I love good. that okay good and I like the sexual tension between the senator and her security guard ooh alright very like mm, they're gonna fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh I started watching you on Netflix. Is it good? It was pretty good. Um, I have I only been like three it. episodes in, so but it, I'm so bad about starting new shows. I tried Mindhunter and I the first episode I didn't mm, but then I saw the BTK moment and yeah. I was like, that's the only part of it I want to even be here for. Yeah. But it's I don't like relationships in Shows. Yeah, it's that kind of, that's kind of part of it that's kind of like. Mm. Yeah, I don't, I don't love, like, when I saw Thor mm-hmm. for the, like, years ago, however long ago Thor came out, I was like, it would have been great, but did we have to talk about this relationship? Yeah. And then people are like, you're stupid, you don't know about stuff, and I'm like, okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, We watched Solo. Ooh. Christopher and I are really big Star Wars fans, and we watched Solo, uh-huh. and I, it was, I liked it. But Woody Harrelson ruined it for me. I like Woody Harrelson. Ooh, Don't get me wrong. I haven't seen Solo. But Woody Harrelson cannot be in a goddamn Star Wars movie. Did it take you out of it? Yeah. yeah. It, like, complete, <clears throat> it completely ruined it. I get because, it. Because so 
all the Star Wars movies, you can like, if you're a Star Wars fan, you understand. If you're not, you're not going to get it. Mm -hmm. But if all the Star Wars movies, you can like imagine it's real out there in space. Like you can imagine and kind of get into it that like all this is going on. You mm -hmm. know? But then you see fucking Woody Harrelson in it and you're like, Pfft. Right. All the magic is gone. Uh, you're just thinking Fucking of all gone. the, like, movies he's been in. and Yeah. yeah. Hunger Games. Right. Hamish. Like, why is Hamish <laughs> hanging out here in a goddamn <laughs> Jedi costume? Come on, guys. And it's like, oh, yeah, it, he ruined I really like Woody Harrelson as an actor. Right. I really do. Me too. Move this over but not in Star Wars. Wars. He um, did a great <clears throat> job. He did an awesome job. But Woody Harrelson cannot be in a goddamn Star Wars movie. You are getting so worked up I right now. I was really upset by oh it. Oh, my God. I, the entire time, I was like, fucking Woody Harrelson in a goddamn Star Wars movie. And Christopher's <laughs> like, are you okay? Like, shut up. Right? Like, he's like, I'm trying to movie. enjoy this movie. And he's like, afterwards, he's like, he, Star Wars is one of those movies, along with, like, Fast and Furious and Transformers and Pirates of the Caribbean, that we can watch over and over and over mm -hmm. and over and over again. But he was like, you want to watch Solo again? I was like, no. And he goes, why? And I said, because goddamn, Woody Harrelson was in it. And he's like, you didn't like it? I was like, no. I was like, I liked it. Right. It was just, it just ruined it. It's like, I was really upset by it. Obviously, clearly. Clearly. Clearly, I was very affected by it. But. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so I don't remember. I was looking up. Um, this is Star Wars and true crime related. I was looking up an, a story, and it was like, um, I can't remember what the freaking crime was now, but mm -hmm. I think it was school shootings or shootings in some way. And um, John Boyega was like a witness mm. to a shooting or a murder of some sort, something like that, um, when he mm. was young. Yeah. Whoa. And I wasn't like it didn't, it said John Boyega as just, it didn't even say who it was. And then, like, later in the article, because I was like, man, that dude's name sounds familiar. Yeah. It was like, oh, and P.S. John Boyega is Finn from Star I was like, Yeah. Like, panic. I actually Full meant to panic. tell you this before, so I'm glad you brought up. That's crazy. Star Wars. We'll have, yeah. I'll have to look at it. Yeah. Um, also, did you, well, have you watched Sex Education yet? No, I know. <laughs> Amelia told me to watch that, too. Well, I don't know what, I don't have time to watch anything. It's one of those ones, if you've got, if you've got, like, if the kids aren't home or whatever, and you right. just want like mindless, stupid, it'll make you laugh television. Yeah. Watch it. Okay. It's fucking hilarious. Also, we watched this movie two two nights ago. I don't think I told you about it, but you have to watch The Package on Netflix too. It's a movie. The Package. Oh, wait. Have I have I been told to watch this already? Maybe I don't not. know. So <laughs> This one, this one's even more stupid than sex education. <laughs> okay. This one is the stupidest movie I have ever seen. And I laughed the entire oh time. Oh my God. And it was like, and it's one of, it's very predictable. Mm -hmm. So you're like, mm, this is going to happen. And right. then it happens, you're like, told you. But it is so goddamn funny. Oh my God. You have to watch it. Okay. And it's only, it's like an hour and a half movie or something. Okay, I'll it's just, just real lighthearted, and it's just it's. I'm telling you now, it is terrible. It's like so dumb, stupid. And at the end, you're gonna be like, "Why did I just waste an hour and a half of my life?" But it makes you laugh. It made me laugh so hard, so many times. Oh my gosh! It okay. was just very entertaining. Done. That's what we'll do. Gave me the giggles that night. The giggles. I, it was like I just laughed at that, and then everything after that was just like I was cracking up. Oh my gosh! It was great. All right, Netflix recommendations are over now. Okay. It was a little boy that was killed. Kill, uh, it was kids killing ki kids. That's what I was looking at. Uh -huh. I didn't actually go that direction, but um, it was like 
this teen killed another teen kind of thing. Mm. And him and his sister, like, visited <gasps> them before in London. So, oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Finn. That's my cat's name. That is your cat's name. <clears throat> That's what I was going to tell you. Not because you're obsessed with Star Wars. But, I mean, I did know that you like yeah. it a lot because you're I mean, a cat. I have two cats named after <laughs> Star Wars your cat. characters. So. Oh, um, I have a little, Yoda, like, a crocheted Yoda hat. Aww. I should bring it in for you. It was for Ivan, but he... Everything is cringy now. Mm-hmm. Everything you used to like is cringy. I get it. <sighs> Fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It must be nice to be 12. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So no, my. Not really. <laughs> no, it was terrible. It was a terrible time. <laughs> oh, no. I did a find and re- like a search and replace. Uh-huh. And I wanted, because it kept calling the boy by just his last name, and I didn't want to go with his last name. So yeah. I replaced them all. So now. With Steven, and now it just says Steven Steven everywhere. Because <laughs> I replaced his last name with his first name. So anytime I use his full name, it says Steven Steven. That's great. All right. But I know his last name is fine. Okay. Good. Okay. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, I feel so bad because we're like giggly and laughy, and then we launch into these awful stories. I mean, if we weren't giggly and laughy, then we wouldn't be okay. That's true. You know? We would not <laughs> like, be okay. Like, if I'm not giggling and laughing either before and eventually after the stories, then it, I would, we wouldn't be doing this. That is true. Okay. <laughs> We'd All both right. be... You make me feel better. Gone. <laughs> not here. Oh, man. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. <clears throat> On December 4, 1972, Stephen Stainer was seven years old and walking the couple of blocks home from school when he was approached by a man named Irvin Edward Murphy. Murphy worked at a resort in Yosemite National Park and was described by those who knew him as... Sorry, I don't know why I'm out of... Oh, it's because I have my sports bra on. God. (laughs) Who knew him... Those who knew him described him as trusting, naive, and a simple-minded man. He had been enlisted by a co-worker and convicted child rapist Kenneth Parnell. Parnell had passed himself off as an aspiring minister to Murphy and enlisted his help to abduct a young boy so that Parnell could raise him in a religious-type deal. Mm -mm. So he's just talked this guy into doing this. Um, Allegedly. I don't know. Acting on instructions from Parnell, Murphy passed out gospel tracts to many boys walking home from school that day and, after spotting Stephen, claimed to be a church representative seeking donations. Mm -hmm. Murphy asked Stephen if his mother would be willing to donate any items to the church— And when Stephen said that she would, uh, Murphy then asked him where he lived and if he would be willing to take him there. He's seven. Uh, After Stephen agreed, a white Buick driven by Kenneth Parnell pulled up and Stephen willingly got into the car with, um, it says with Murphy, so I don't know if they like traded him off. It didn't really go into details on how, Mm -hmm. what happened. But Parnell then drove a confused Stephen to his cabin in nearby Kathy's Valley instead, which, unbeknownst to Stephen and Parnell, um, the cabin was only several hundred feet from Stephen's maternal grandfather's residence. (gasps) Yeah. Um, So this was uh, 1972, December 4th, 1972. Parnell molested Stephen the first night, and uh, 13 days later— began routinely raping Stephen. After 
telling Parnell that he wanted to go home many, many times during the first couple of weeks, Parnell told Stephen that he had been granted legal custody of him because his parents could not afford so many children and they didn't want him anymore. Mm. So he'd been like held captive for like a week or two. Mm-hmm. You're seven. No one has, you know, come for you or spark. You don't know anything about if they're looking for you or anything. You haven't heard from anyone. Yeah. And he's been telling him, well, that's because they gave you away to me. Mm-hmm. I wrote a sad face there. Yeah. It is sad. Yeah. Uh, Parnell began calling Stephen Dennis Gregory Parnell retaining Stephen's real middle name and his real birth date while enrolling him in various schools over the next several years. Uh, Stephen's hair was also cut and dyed. Parnell passed himself off as Stephen's father, and the two moved frequently around California. He allowed Stephen to begin drinking and smoking at a young age and to come and go as he pleased. Mm. Parnell bounced from one menial job to another, some of his work requiring travel, and he would leave Stephen home alone. One of the few positive aspects of Stephen's life with Parnell was the dog he had received as a gift from him, a Manchester Terrier that he named Queenie. Um, the dog had been given to Parnell by his mother, who was not aware of Stephen's existence. Jesus. <clears throat> yeah. For a period of 18 months during this kidnapping, a woman lived with Parnell and Stephen named Barbara, I think it's Mathis. According to Stephen, Mathis, along with Parnell, raped him on nine separate occasions at the age of nine. In 1975, on Parnell's instruction, Mathis tried to lure another young boy who was in the Santa Rosa Boys Club with Stephen into Parnell's car. The attempt was unsuccessful. Mathis later claimed to have been completely unaware that Stephen had been kidnapped. Okay. I'm going to take this bra off or something. It's killing me. (laughs) When Stephen was 14, Parnell began to look for a younger child to kidnap. Parnell had used Stephen to attempt to kidnap children on prior occasions. However, all were unsuccessful, causing Parnell to believe Stephen lacked the means to be an accomplice. Later, Stephen would reveal that he intentionally sabotaged these failed kidnappings. Yeah, good. Yeah. Um, on February 14th, 1980, Parnell and a teenage friend of Stevens named Randall Sean Poorman. See, it makes me feel like this guy is just super manipulative and brainwashy. Mm-hmm. Um, so on February 14th, 1980, Parnell and a teenage friend of Stevens named Randall kidnapped five-year-old Timothy White in oh. Ukiah, California. Um, Randall Poorman noticed... Timmy White, who was playing outside his parents' house in Ukiah, and ushered him into Parnell's car. When White refused and attempted to run back inside, uh, Randall shoved the boy against a chain-link fence, forcing him um, to, like, let go. He was, like, holding on to every, you know, and Mm -hmm. he forced him to let go of the fence um, and drug him, kicking and screaming into the car. Parnell made a quick made quick work in brainwashing as he had done with Stephen repeatedly trying to get White to think his new name was Tommy, not Timmy. Parnell also dyed Timothy White's blonde hair dark brown, and ultimately Parnell would try to pass White off as his younger son and Stephen's brother. Mm. White forged a bond with Stephen during the 16 days he was held captive and spoke favorably of how the older boy took care of him. Mm-hmm. Stephen determined To not see another child suffer the systematic sexual abuse that he had endured sought to return Timothy White to his parents. Mm -hmm. On March 1, 1980, while Parnell was away at his night security job, 
Stephen left with White and hitchhiked into Ukiah, unable to locate White's home address. He was planning to just take Take Timothy White home and then come back to Parnell's. Mm -hmm. That was his plan. He decided to have White walk into the police station to ask for help because they couldn't remember. He, Timothy couldn't figure out where he lived. Yeah. Um, to ask for help to go into the police station without him. But police officers spotted Stephen and detained both of them. Mm-hmm. Stephen immediately identified Timmy White and then revealed his own true identity and story. So he remembered. He, he remembered didn't, like, some. Block it out. Yeah, he Completely. remembered some. Um, so this, they left on March 1. By morning on March 2, Parnell had been arrested on suspicion of abducting both boys. After the police checked into Parnell's background, they found a previous sodomy conviction from 1951. Oh both children were reunited with their families that day. In 1981, Parnell was tried and convicted of kidnapping Timothy and Stephen in two separate trials. He was sentenced to seven years. But was paroled after no. serving five. No. Mm-mm. So he was out in five years. Like, that's insanity. Parnell was not charged with the numerous sexual assaults on Stephen and other boys because most of them occurred outside the jurisdiction of the county that they were in. Mm-hmm. Or they were outside of the statute of limitations. Um, the, so this Mendocino County Prosecutors, which is where— the crimes took place, mm-hmm. um, acting almost entirely alone, decided not to prosecute Parnell for the sexual assaults that occurred in their jurisdiction because they believed that they were protecting Stephen because rape and molestation victims were seen as damaged goods. It's the fucking 80s, and that is the most 80s shit I'd ever Ugh, heard. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> they may have also felt that they were respecting Stephen's parents, Reluctant to discuss Parnell's crimes because of the stigma of male sexual abuse. Um, okay. Yeah, I get that that was the view back then. But. I mean, you're basically telling this kid, you are telling this kid that he's not worth it. Yeah, yeah. But I I understand that that was the view back then, whatever. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's wrong. But Mm -hmm. the, if... If he, I don't, and I don't know, like, obviously the full story behind it because we're not there in the 80s at the right. moment in time. But if he, this 14-year-old kid and his parents are saying, we want to do, we want to testify, we want to go through with this, blah, right. blah, 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 then do it. Like, right. they obviously fully understand the consequences. Yes, in that time, sexual abuse mm-hmm. victims were seen as <clears throat> garbage. You're not. Right. No, no one is garbage. Right. Except for these horrific people but if they're if they fully understand the consequences and they're still like get this guy out of the community right can respect their i know (sighs) i know dude i feel like um the way the article that i had read and i read a couple Mm -hmm. basically that these prosecutors did this on their own like (sighs) not to sound like i'm pinning anybody into a you know, this is how people act kind mm-hmm. of situation. I'm not stereotyping, but it seemed like a bunch of kind of um, older men. Yeah. And some older men thinking. Yeah. <clears throat> Definitely. <clears throat> anyway. Irvin Murphy and Randall, the teenage friend who had helped abduct Timothy White, um, were convicted of lesser charges. Both claimed they knew nothing of the sexual assaults on Stephen. Barbara Mathis was never arrested. Why? 
I don't know. Stephen remembered the kindness that Uncle Murphy, he called him Uncle Murphy, Irvin, had shown him in his first week of captivity while they were both under the influence of Parnell's manipulation. See? Manipulative. Mm -hmm. And he believed that Murphy was as much Parnell's victim as he and Timmy were. Edward Murphy was sentenced to five years imprisonment and paroled after two. I guess in California, you can just kidnap and and toss them back and you just get a couple years. No. That's insanity. That's so stupid. I hate this. (laughs) I knew. I knew you weren't going to like it. I was like, oh, should I do this one? Um, After, Yeah, right? (laughs) After returning to his family, Stephen had trouble adjusting to a more structured household as he'd been allowed to smoke, drink, and do as he pleased when he lived with Kenneth Parnell. In an interview with Newsweek shortly after he was reunited with his family, Stephen said, I returned almost a grown man, and yet my parents saw me as their Mm seven-year-old. After they stopped trying to teach me the fundamentals all over again, it got better. But why doesn't my dad hug me anymore? Everything has changed. Sometimes I blame myself. I don't know sometimes if I should have come home. Would I have been better off if I didn't? (sighs) I hate that. Stephen initially underwent brief counseling but never sought additional treatment. He also refused to disclose all of the details of sexual abuse he endured while he was living with Parnell. In a 2007 interview, Stephen's sister Corey said that her brother did not seek counseling because their father said Stephen didn't need any. She added, he got on with his life, but he was pretty messed up. He was teased by other children at school for being molested and eventually dropped out. Stephen began to drink frequently and was eventually kicked out of the family home. His relationship with his father remained strained. Um, In 1985, Stephen married 17-year-old Jody Edmondson, which... That's like an age gap, is it not? I don't know. How old would he have been if he was he was seven in nineteen seventy one? And turn my page over. Two. So he was seven in nineteen seventy two. And you said in what? So I guess that's not much of an age difference. Eighty five. Eighty five. So twenty. No, I guess not. Not at all. It just seems she's so young to be getting married. Anyway. He also worked with child abduction groups, spoke to children about personal safety, and gave interviews about his kidnapping. He joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints just before his death. At the time of his death, Stephen was living in California and working at a pizza shop. Um, Why didn't I put in the details of his death? I'm so sorry. He, (laughs) let me find it, later life and death. It was an accident. It was a motorcycle accident. I did know that. Yeah. Um, He sustained fatal fatal head injuries while on his way home from work when his motorcycle collided with a car. Mm -hmm. 500 people attended his funeral. 14-year-old Timmy White was a pallbearer. Oh, that's why I didn't. I know. I know. That's why I didn't add it in. Yeah. Um, So in the late 80s, 1989, there was a made-for-TV miniseries. Um, called I Know My First Name is Steven. Mm-hmm. I would have been like eight or nine years old when this aired, and I just, I remember it. That's yeah. why I, I went and searched for that na- that title. It's called I Know My First Name is Steven. Oh, wow. He didn't know his last name. He didn't know his middle name was his real middle name. Um, oh. And it was a really, really tough show. And it basically, like, it focused a lot on how his life went after he got home because it was a really yeah. rough time. Uh, oh, it was right there. <laughs> It's okay. It was right there after that. <laughs> in 2004, Kenneth Parnell, then 72 years old and living his free-ass life, 
was convicted of trying to persuade his nurse to procure for him a young boy for $500. Stop it. The nurse, aware of Parnell's past, reported this to the police. Timothy White, then a grown man, was subpoenaed to testify in Parnell's criminal trial. And although Stephen had passed, Stephen's testimony at Parnell's earlier trial was read to jurors as evidence. Um, Kenneth Parnell died of natural causes on January 21st, 2008 at the California Medical Facility in California, obviously, while serving a sentence of 25 years to life for that last trying to get someone to bring you a kid. Yeah. That just, just, sorry to interrupt, that just shows the difference between 1980 and the 2000s. Yeah. Like, he got 25 years of life for, granted, he had the prior evidence of actually, Mm -hmm kidnapping two children right against him mm-hmm. however 25 years to life for for asking, the for asking whereas yeah. he kept this boy for seven years kidnapped another little boy mm-hmm. because this one was too old for him that's ba- that was it it was like as he got to puberty he needed a younger kid and he only got seven years served five right jesus Christ. i know i know i know <laughs> Timothy White later became a Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department deputy. Yes. He died on April 1st, 2010 at age 35 from pulmonary embolism. No. I know. White was survived by his wife, Dina, and two young children, as well as his mother, father, stepfather, and sister. Oh, babies. Nearly five months later, on August 28, 2010, a statue of Stephen and White was dedicated in Applegate Park. And it's called, it looks like Merked, California. Mm -hmm. But I can't. (laughs) <laughs> Merked, California, residents of Ukiah, the hometown of Timothy White, um, carved a statue showing a teenage Stephen with young White in hand while escaping their captivity. Fundraisers for the statue have stated that it is meant to honor Stephen and give families of missing and kidnapped children hope that they're still alive. Aww. Stephen Stainer's kidnapping and its aftermath prompted California lawmakers to change state laws to allow consecutive prison terms in similar abduction cases. So that was the mm-hmm. issue. They mm-hmm. wouldn't allow consecutive terms to be placed on, which that's like a common thing now. Yeah. You get this many years for this one, this many years for this one. Yeah. I don't know why abduction was different. <laughs> that's a tough thing. Jeez. So many series called I Know My First Name is Steven, and it starred um, that guy that was in, um, what's that movie? Oh, gosh, it was a show. It was a TV show in the 80s. I don't know. TV show in the 80s. Here you go. It was, oh, oh. What's hey, his name? Oh, my God. Okay. My, <laughs> <laughs> my mother just sent me a thing. I'm going to look on my phone. Parker mm-hmm. Lewis. Parker Lewis something. What's his name? But hold, please. Okay, hold, please. (laughs) My mom. Oh, no, that's a different one. On my private page, popped up. Didn't want that. Is Parker Lewis can't lose. Parker Lewis can't lose. Hold on. It stars Parker Lewis can't lose. What's that guy's name? Yep. That was the name of it. I like that show. Uh. (sighs) Sorry. Yes. 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 Okay, my mom just sent me this thing. ABC 2020 is doing this thing on Friday night of this. Okay, I'm going to. Is it about Steven? Yes. Oh, my yes, God. Yes, I swear to God. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do that. And, and the, the <clears throat> my name. Okay. <clears throat> I know my first name <gasps> is Steven. Hold on. I got to. I'm like so excited right now. <laughs> so, okay. It's, it's a called Evil in Eden. It's a two-hour 2020 
on ABC. It's this Friday. So when you hear it, it'll already, when you hear this episode, it'll already have played. It's Friday at nine. But so Steven Stainer's actual real life brother, I guess. Oh, yeah. Carrie killed two people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. gosh. Okay. And I my didn't mom know that. just sent me that. Shit. And did I ruin your story? No. Okay. Um, but that picture, I was like, wait a minute. That's familiar. Why is that familiar? Oh, my God. Yeah. <gasps> that um, is so insane. My mom sent me that yesterday. That is insane. So it says what I did read that he had killed people, the brother. And the sister that I, I had mentioned was like, yeah, my parents basically said that, um, or not the sister. Anyway, what I had read was that um, the parents were like, yeah, we focused too much on the abducted kid. Yeah. And not on That's the other one. So insane. I mean, <gasps> yeah. Ooh, oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. I have Monica and John are coming over Friday night, so I don't know. That, or I think they're coming Friday night. If right. they are, I don't know that I'll get to watch it. I'm so sad. Yeah. So they better put it on demand. They better. <laughs> God. And I was like, <gasps> that was so crazy. You did that. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were excited because you recognized him from Parker Lewis Can't Lose. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that was a good show. Oh. <gasps> Oh, my gosh. I know. That was insane. That was tough. That's a—I mean, at least they got out and survived. Yeah. And eventually, they both had good lives because Stephen was helping people by counseling and Mm -hmm. speaking. Yeah. I mean, they—it seems like Stephen was super, super troubled, obviously, after everything. And, uh, like, blamed himself, you know. That would be so hard because, I mean—and, I mean, we— literally just discussed this before Mm -hmm. about my brother's 14 and he's I mean obviously he's not a man by age but he's all grown up you know and obviously he's still got growing to do but he is he's obviously so much different than he was at seven years old right to come back to leave at seven to be taken at seven right to come back at 14, a completely different person. You're yeah. grown up. You're a, a man, right. quote unquote. You, you've been allowed to do these things that grown men can legally do mm-hmm. as a kid and go back to this family who was raising you a certain way. Right. And that would be that would be very hard for everybody to adjust to. I can only imagine. Yeah. No, I... I remember, I mean, even now, like, if you have, like, I'm not saying any, I'm not trying to correlate this whatsoever, but even now, like, if you have a a partner or a spouse that goes overseas, like, is deployed for Mm -hmm. a year, they come back a different person. They've been gone for a year. Yeah. Your house has changed, you know, like, maybe you started putting the milk in a different spot, and they go to Mm -hmm. get the milk, and they're like, oh, do I exist here? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, <laughs> should I do that to Christopher every week? Oh my god! <laughs> Change where I put stuff. <laughs> Sorry, babe. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. Can you imagine? I and your parents, just... and they're just living their life. You know. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. What a story! I just can't believe <clears throat> that my mother just sent me that. I love yesterday. it. Your that mom was, and I are and psychically I like, linked. I was like, oh, girl, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to look into that. Yeah. I don't have to now. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Goodness. That was insane. Okay. So if you recall, I've been talking to you for like the past three weeks about the Netflix docuseries, The Staircase. Oh my gosh. We're going to get into it. Okay. And this is the most research I have ever done in my life, even for like research projects in school. 
And if I get something wrong, I'm sorry. Okay. All right. So Michael Peterson was born on October 23rd, 1943, near Nashville, Tennessee. Did you, when we first started talking about this, you didn't know what I was talking about. Did have no. you, you still know? No. Okay. Michael Peterson was born on October 23rd, 1943, near Nashville, Tennessee. Peterson graduated from Duke University with a bachelor's degree in political science. At Duke, he was the president of Sigma Nu Fraternity and the editor of The Chronicle. He also attended classes at the Law School of University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. In 1965, Michael married Patricia Sue Patterson, whom I'll refer to as Patty. Okay. They had two children, Clayton and Todd Peterson. In 1968, uh, Michael voluntarily enlisted in the Marines, but was discharged four years later when a car accident left him with a permanent disability. Mm. Michael and Patty lived in Germany for some time, where they became friends with Elizabeth and George Ratliff and their two young children, Martha. Margaret and Martha, who they were, like, babies, basically. Okay. Um, after, after George's death in Granada, the Peterson and Ratliff families became even closer. When Elizabeth Ratliff died in 1985, Michael and Patty took the girls in and raised them as their own. Um, per Elizabeth's will, she wanted Michael to take care of her babies. Okay. Um, Michael and Patty ended up getting a divorce, and in 1989, Michael moved in with Kathleen Peterson, living in a luxurious 10,000-square-foot home. Kathleen and Michael married in 1997. Michael was a fictional writer and wrote three novels, uh, The Immortal Dragon, A Time of War, which was a New York Times bestseller, A Bitter Peace, and also wrote a biography called Charlie Two Shoes and the Marines of Love Company. Uh, he was a controversial editor, col- editorial columnist for the Durham Herald newspaper, expressing opinions about the racial divide that existed in the town where he lived. So he li- they live in mm. Durham, North Carolina. And it's like late 60s, early 70s? Uh, we're in the late 80s now. Late 80s, okay. Yeah. Um, over the years, Michael made various attempts to win public office and was eventually discovered, it was eventually discovered during his 1999 mayoral campaign that he had actually lied about his record of military honors. Ooh. Kathleen was the vice president for Nortel Networks, an international communications firm. Uh, she was worth nearly $2.5 million and was a, just brilliant. Get like, it, she girl. She was just killing it. Love that. Um, she was the first woman ever accepted into the School of Engineering at Duke University. Love so she's, that. she's like so smart, just awesome. Perfect. Uh, Kathleen had a daughter, Caitlin, from a previous relationship who became close, for, close like they called each other sisters mm-hmm. with, with Margaret and Martha and Michael's two sons, Todd and Clayton. So, on Sunday, December 9th, 2001, Michael and Kathleen were in the living room watching a movie um, in the documentary on Netflix. He says it was American Sweethearts. Okay. And around 11 o'clock, they took their wine glasses, went into the kitchen, eventually taking their drinks outside, having a drink by the pool. Around 1 a.m., Kathleen left to go upstairs to work on the computer while Michael stayed outside to smoke his pipe for about 45 minutes. Michael called 911 at 2.40 a.m. to report that he had found Kathleen at the bottom of the stairs. Now I want to play this for you. Okay, please, please. Uh, sir, sir, somebody else is dispatching the ambulance. 
Okay, is she awake now? Hello? Oof. Okay, so... Um, eight minutes later, medics arrive and confirm her death. Paramedics, when they arrived, she was dead at the bottom of the stairs. Mm -hmm. So they arrived, confirmed her death. Toxicology results showed that uh, Kathleen's blood alcohol content was 0.07%, so not enough to be drunk. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Not, like, at all. Yeah. Uh, Detective Art Holland, the lead investigator in the case, explains in the Staircase documentary that when he entered the house, he saw Kathleen's legs sticking out of a doorway. Once he approached her body, he noticed the abundant—he noticed an abundant amount of blood on her on the floor and the walls that was just simply inconsistent with someone simply falling down the stairs. Ooh. Um, now, if if you watch this documentary, fair warning, I think I've said it before. There's mm-hmm. crime scene photos in it the into, pretty much always consistently. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure they're not—they're rough. Yeah, and this documentary was on the one on Netflix was made following the trial. Okay. So it's from the defense's perspective, it's it's following mm-hmm. the entire trial. So they're I mean, they're showing all of this stuff. But in the photo where she's in the stairway, she is it is it's a stairway that goes down mm-hmm. and then it's got a, like those two like stairs at that the are bottom like that this, turn away that turn and then two stairs down. Okay, I see I feel like I have see, uh, maybe I've watched a dateline about it or yeah. something cuz yeah. it's I'm, I'm sure you see, I'm sure you've heard of it. <clears throat> okay. Or some somebody's said something where when you said he stayed outside to smoke a pipe for 45 yeah. minutes, I was like, "No, he did not." <laughs> <laughs> so, in this photo of when they walk in, she is at the bottom of the stairway, but uh-huh. she is on the little curve, on the little turn part where yeah. you first go in, and she her legs are out in the hallway. So, it's we'll get it more into this yeah. at the end, but it's just just for a visualization. Though. Right. I'm gonna add the stairway, or is it called the staircase? Staircase. Okay. I'm I'm adding it to my list. Yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> list that I've given you twelve things to watch. Well, already. I'm actually <laughs> adding it to my Netflix list, oh, yeah, so yeah, I yeah. won't forget. <laughs> Gosh. Um, Associate Chief Medical Examiner Deborah Radish said in a forensic files interview, deaths due to falls down deaths due to falls down the stairs are pretty uncommon, and I've never I've never seen a scene photographed from a fall down the stairs with that much blood. Mm. Um, experts concluded that the injuries sustained were inconsistent with an accidental fall down the stairs. Thus launches an investigation. Okay. The evidence found was enough for a special grand jury to warrant a trial and charge Michael with first-degree murder. Investigators began to notice even more inconsistencies at the scene. Paramedics noted that the blood didn't look fresh when they arrived. It had already started to congeal due to it being there for some time. So obviously, if you have a drop of blood it's and you just it leave it it gets like tacky sticky, and then it just yeah. dries um the wall by the staircase looked like it had been washed apparent appearing as if someone had tried to clean up part of the wall leading to more suspicion on top of the washed area of the wall there was more blood spatter whoa yeah there was blood on <clears throat> Kathleen's feet and investigators found two large blood drops on the back patio and a blood stain on the side door of the house uh investigators also found a bloody shoe print on the back of Kathleen's pants that matched Michael's shoes. Whoa. Yeah. Now, on the staircase where she's laying, right. she is laying face up. So she is, like, on her back, like, basically, like, sitting down with her legs kicked out. Mm-hmm. And she's on her back facing up. So the bloody shoe print on the back of the shoes cause obviously causes some suspicion. Right. Uh. It being December and Michael was wearing nothing but shorts and a T-shirt that night, investigators brought in forensic meteorologist Bill Haggard. 
Using data from five weather stations, Haggard discovered that the temperature outside at the Peterson's home would have been between 51 and 55 degrees. He did not believe that Peterson could comfortably sit in temperatures like that for 45 minutes. Mm. He tells Forensic Files, there's something called a comfort zone, and it's established by the Department of Energy, which basically highlights the, the comfort zone area to be between 70 and 90 degrees. Like, that's, like, mm-hmm. where most people, I guess, are averagely comfortable. Okay. In the, in weather, like, outside weather, what, I guess. This is in Nashville, Tennessee? Durham, South Carolina. Dur- oh. South Carolina? Well, North I Carolina. feel like both Carolinas are in, like, a warmer yeah. climate. So it's not yeah. like here in Indiana where my kid, dude, <laughs> like, he literally only wears a sweatshirt. Yeah. And I got to cut them shorts off of him by, like, mid-November. Like, hey, buddy, yeah. people hate me at your school. Can you wear some pants? Yeah. yeah. And if you think about mm-hmm. it, <clears throat> like, right now we're in, like, literally tomorrow night's supposed to be, a degree, like, five degrees. Mm-hmm. When the weather gets up to 55 degrees, we're all breaking out our shorts and our T-shirts, yeah. you know? Yesterday so it's not, felt like spring because it was, like, negative three the, the day before. Exactly. Yeah. It's not that far-fetched mm-hmm. that someone would be comfortable in a 55-degree yeah, weather. Yeah, maybe there's a, a southern breeze coming through. Maybe. Who, Who knows? knows? <laughs> <laughs> uh, while searching the home computer, experts found that Kathleen sent an email to her coworker around midnight, placing her inside at the computer an hour or so earlier than Michael had claimed. Mm. Investigators also found something else unexpected. Thousands of homosexual pornographic images. In Michael's desk, they found email exchanges with, ma- with a male sex worker making plans for sex. Mm. Investigators also found financial difficulties. Michael hadn't generated any income in over two years, and Kathleen was fully supporting the entire household, including college expenses for the children, and obviously Oof. the burden of running a household that size. I mean, they live in a 10,000-square-foot home. Right. They, well, that's a total of five kids they're yeah. putting through college? Yeah, yeah basically. Yeah. Oh. I think, uh, if I remember right, it was just the girls that were in college still, because I think the boys were are, were old enough to be out of college, okay. I think. But, I mean, maybe she's still paying on it. I don't know. That's a lot of money. I'm going to be paying on my college funds for until I'm 70. So it's fine. And, I mean, I know they're millionaires, but it's just two. Yeah. (laughs) Just two. (laughs) Um, Michael was also listed as the beneficiary on Kathleen's $2 million Uh, life insurance policy. uh, Sure he was. Um, Which... To negate, Christopher is the beneficiary on my life insurance policy. Mm -hmm. But... I'm not Bye worth $2 million. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not worth $2 million. I can guarantee you Bye, that. Bye, I guess. Um, the defense had a motive. But, I mean, if you're, I mean, you're married to each other. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's not yeah. like it's, it's, you got, someone's got to be the beneficiary. Yeah, it's and it's fine. not like it was just, like, three months earlier. Like, most of these cases that you hear about, true right. cases, that it's like, oh, I'm going to open this. And then. And then, it's, yeah. It was just another thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the defense ha- the defense had motive now, but no actual evidence of murder. So investigators looked at the clothing Michael was wearing at the time of Kathleen's death. They found watermarks on the front of Michael's shorts where it appeared he had tried to remove the blood. Mm. Bloodstained analyst with the SBI, which is the State Bureau of Investigation, Dwayne Deaver, then looked between the legs of Michael's shorts, which is where he found blood spatter. He says that he says, quote, that that is what I see many times in beating cases. Um Deaver created an experiment where he was wearing a similar outfit and hit a blood-soaked sponge to create similar to create a similar position the killer would need to be in to create the blood spatter. Okay. The test results match the spatter on Michael's shorts. 
The autopsy report concluded that Kathleen sustained a number of severe injuries, including a fracture of the thyroid neck cartilage and seven lacerations to the top and the back of her head, inconsistent with a fall, but consistent with blows from a blunt object. Mm. Um, doctors found red neurons in Kathleen's brain tissue. Basically, compared to healthy neurons, they were shriveled. So, like, healthy neurons are, like, round. Okay. Well, almost, they're not perfectly round because, I mean, they're in your brain. But they're, like, more round and kind of, like, more pudgy. Mm-hmm. And red neurons are, like, like they, like, kind of, like, seize up. Okay. So, think, like, and... a grape compared to a raisin. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Awesome. What a good I used visual. to work in an elementary school, just perfect. so you know. That's perfect. <laughs> Um, so medical examiner Radish, Dr. Radish, says that finding near red neurons in someone's brain tissue indicates that the person had experienced a lack of oxygen anywhere from two to six hours before they suffered a full body death. Wow. Okay. The conclusion would be that she was beaten, Kathleen was beaten, living for a long enough period of time to develop the red neurons by the time she had died. Mm-hmm. Uh, Radish concluded in a report that Kathleen's death was ruled a homicide. Oof. So Caitlin, which is Kathleen's daughter— had initially maintained Michael's innocence and publicly supported him alongside his other children, but upon finding out the results of the autopsy, she changed her mind, searching for an answer to her mother's death, and broke off from the rest of the family. Whoa. Yeah. Um, and she was the one that came from a previous marriage. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She was Kathleen's daughter. Right. That's, Kathleen's from a previous it. marriage. And then there mm-hmm. were two adopted. Two adopted. Two from his and previous. Then two from Michael's previous. Okay. Yes. There's a lot of kids. Yeah. Um, and if you watch the staircase, it gets a lot easier because you can put, you know, names to faces oh, yeah, and yeah. keep it all uh, straight. Is it an, is it an episode if I don't burp? <laughs> <laughs> um, so Michael says in a press interview, quote, Kathleen was my life. I whispered her name in my heart a thousand times. She is there, but I can't stop crying. I would never have done anything to hurt her. I am innocent of these charges and we will prove it in court. End quote. Mm. Like so whispered her goddamn dramatic. In my heart. Give me a break. <laughs> no one loves me that much or no. ever will. And I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, I don't need I don't even we don't even know if that's love or just bullshit. It's some bullshit. Yeah. Uh, prosecutors believe Kathleen's murder took place several hours before the 911 phone call. So here's the proposed scenario. Kathleen forgot her laptop at work. She was checking her work email on Michael's computer because she had a presentation the next morning. Mm-hmm. She found the emails, the, the sexual emails yeah. and photographs. She went downstairs, confronted Michael where he lost it. Right. She probably turned to go back upstairs when Michael grabbed a blow poke from the fireplace, which is something you blow in to make the flames bigger. Huh. Uh, beating her over the head unconscious. He removed his shoes to keep from tracking the blood through the house and began to stage the scene as a fall. Mm-hmm. As he was washing the walls down, she regained consciousness standing up, which caused the blood the blood on the bottom of her feet where he beat her again, oh. causing the blood spatter on his pants and then the re-splatter on the wall over the washed away blood and ultimately killing her. Wow. Now, that is, is dramatic. Yeah. And remember, that's just the proposed scenario. So that's not obviously not confirmed. Right. Then someone had to have taken the blow poke outside, causing the blood drops on the back patio. Michael washes pants, trying to get rid of the blood spatter. I think I already said that. Did they find the blow poke? Hold, please. Okay. <laughs> You're like, please don't jump. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> um, so the trial drew media attention in Durham <clears throat> due to Michael and Kathleen being prominent members of the community and being just well-liked. Mm-hmm. Um, on July 1st, 2003, the trial begins. So this is two years later. See, that that is an, also a big difference from 80s stuff. Like, mm-hmm. back in the 80s— you're arrested, but in like four months, you're in jail yeah. or you're free. You know I what mean, I mean? Last week's episode, 
the Stratton brothers were yeah were tried, convicted, and killed within a span of two months. Yeah, they're like done with this. Yeah. We're so, not wasting forever. So we're a year and a half later. Actually. Okay. So on July first, two thousand three, <clears throat> the trial begins. Just District Attorney Jim Harden addresses the jury with an image of the layout of their home and additional images, including the autopsy photos. He continues regarding the murder weapon, but introduces an identical replica of the blowpoke, which is the suspected murder okay. weapon, um, because they can't find the blowpoke. Um, Kathleen's sister, Candace, who is a character, oh. had given her family members a blowpoke as a gift for Christmas 15 years prior. The actual blowpoke belonging to Kathleen was missing. Okay. Um, so Candace gave it to, like, her three sisters, her mom, like, gave, that was their Christmas gift or whatever. Okay. Don't get me a goddamn blowpoke for Christmas. That's super boring. I will hit you over the head with a blowpoke. I, <laughs> I have been the aunt to get the same present for all of the nieces and nephews. Yeah. But it's like a voice, it's like a voice changer or like yeah. moon shoes. Everybody gets moon shoes, yeah. you know, like a blow poke. <laughs> um, the phone operator, okay, so <clears throat> let me start over. It's fine. Day five of the trial. Okay. The phone operator was interviewed agreeing that Michael had called in hysterical. Mm-hmm. Um, she reported it in her reports that, Caller was hysterical. D.A. Harden plays the calls for the court, confirming that the caller had ended the phone calls and not the dispatcher. So he actually ended up calling twice within, like, I think it was, like, a 15-minute span. Okay. The first phone call was what I played. He, She asked hello a couple more times and then hangs up. Or, and then he hangs up. He calls back and is like, where are they? Are they coming? And a different dispatcher answers. Mm-hmm. And they're like, they dispatched him. Can you tell me, is she alive? And he hangs up. And she goes, damn. Like, you and Right. So... You don't mm. end phone calls with the police. Just FYI. Yeah. Unless you... they're say you can hang up now. Right. <laughs> um, day 13 to 17 of the trial, Michael Shorts are presented to the jury where um, D.A. Harden shows them police evidence technician Dan George is put up on the stand where he describes that he observed large quantities of blood everywhere, paper, t- paper towels around her body, and a towel under her head. Mm. Yeah. D.A. Harden asks... The condition of the blood at the scene, and George says it was dry, uh, claiming it's not what he would believe to be a fall on the steps. Hmm. D.A. Harden shows a videotape that George made of the scene where it shows Kathleen laying at the bottom of the stairs. Personally, oh, (laughs) this is just a note. (laughs) So it's really hard for me to believe, and I kind of mentioned, alluded to this earlier. It's really hard for me to believe that she fell down the stairs and landed in the position that she is laying. I want to see it. Do you mind if I look? I don't mind. Okay. It's... it's a little brutal, but it's not, it's really not that bad. Okay. If it shows the autopsy photos of the lacerations on the back of her head, that's kind of just preparing yourself yeah. if you happen to glimpse that because it's, I mean, it's kind of brutal. But her oh, laying at yeah. the bottom of the stairs is not so, there's just a shit ton of blood. Yeah. Um, that's. Bunch of people posing like they're at the bottom. <laughs> Sorry, I clicked on the wrong thing. So, is this any of them? This one? Yeah. Yeah, that does not. I mean, that's just uh, not a position. To me, that's not a position. And the that blood you is in a weird in. spot. Yeah. It's just to right me, that's there. Yeah, that's just not a position that you end up in. No, like it's that's not, not a natural I fell down the stairs position. No. Especially with the curve on the wall. Even if she had tried to get up. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like. For you to fall that far out of there, do yeah. you know what I mean? That yeah. it that needed to have been, like, greased down or something, the yeah. stairs. You know, yeah. you had to, like, get some some speed going. Yeah, it's just very hard for this. 
that is one thing for me that is very hard to wrap my mind around. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, days. <laughs> I've got like, it's like, uh, there you go. I was like, there's a, big, there's a big one that was like sitting there and I couldn't get it out. So there's just little ones. Couldn't um, get it out. Days 22 to 26 of the trial, blood spatter expert Dwayne Deaver is put on the stand. He gives testimony that Kathleen was in fact beaten, resulting in the blood spatter patterns on the scene. Okay. So the defense in the in the staircase, the defense team meets with this DNA expert. His name's Timothy Palmbach. Um, and in this meeting, he says that Deaver and his team conducted the experiments from the results with the results from the end results backward. Mm. So they started with the end results and worked backwards trying to get those results. Okay. Whereas, and he says, claiming he claims Deaver's goal was, I need this end product. Now, what do I have to do to get there? And he also continues that that's not good science and good science is, quote, we don't care what the end product is. It's all about developing through data collection, a good hypothesis and whatever the outcome is. So you have to do these experiments mm-hmm. and then see what you get, not work from an end result backwards, basically. Okay. Um, uh, day 27 of the trial, a report prepared by Dwayne, a report prepared by Dwayne Deaver where he was supposed to be using luminol to check for bloodstain evidence on Michael's shirt had not come forward. So there's no evidence that there was anything on Michael's shirt causing people to believe that Michael changed shirts. Mm. Uh, days 28 to 30, D.A. Hardin presents more images to the court, and Dr. Radish is called to the stand. He asks her opinion on as to how the injuries on Kathleen had occurred. She gives her opinion that the there's abrasions on her right eyelid and under her left eye. She says those would not have occurred by falling because there's your your orbital bones are there to protect. Right. So if you you smack yeah. into something, it's not going to get your eyeball. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. there to protect mm-hmm. and prevent injury. So that that shouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, on her head, Doctor Radish says that many of the lacerations were through the scalp into through the scalp through the scalp <laughs> into the skull. Um, she says that in her opinion, the injuries are consistent inconsistent with a fall down the stairs and consistent with being struck by an object similar to the blowpoke. Mm-hmm. So. Day 35 of the trial, Michael's sexuality is brought into the court, and his defense team argues that it's irrelevant to bring into the case. ADA David Sachs argues that this goes to the motive and rebuts some of the issues in the opening statement given by David Rudolph, who is Michael's lead attorney. So hmm. the defense is like, no, that's irrelevant. And then the prosecution team is like, um, hello, it's motive. Right. Uh, Judge Hudson deems the evidence regarding Michael's sexuality as admissible in court. So they allow it. Okay. In day 37 of the trial, Brent Walgamot, who we'll call Brad, is called to the stand to discuss his male escorting job and his emails back and forth with Michael. He confirms that he sent images to Michael and confirms that Michael mentioned his marriage to Kathleen. Brad continues that they were to meet up in September of 2001, planning to have sex, but they did not end up meeting due to Brad canceling the date. He states in his testimony, most clients never want to say anything about their relationships with their wives, but Michael is very open regarding his quote-unquote loving relationship with Kathleen and that Michael did not want to destroy that. The jury reviews the emails, email exchanges between Michael and Brad, which get very vivid. Mm. Very naughty. <laughs> naughty. So at this point in the trial, the court gains awareness of another similar circumstance. Remember Elizabeth Ratliff, the family yes. friend who yes. died in Germany? The she, one, she's, is she the one with the daughters, right? Yes. Okay. With Margaret and Martha as her daughters. She was also found at the foot of her staircase with injuries to the head. Stop your... That is... 
No. Yes. An autopsy at the time of her death concluded that she had died from a cerebral hemorrhage secondary to a blood disorder. But Michael was the last person to see her life. Oh, my freaking God! <laughs> um, ADA, ADA Sachs argues that the death of Elizabeth Ratliff should be admissible evidence into the case. The defense argues that there's no evidence regarding a motive for murder, including financial gain for Elizabeth's murder, but the judge determines that it's going to be admissible in court. Days 31 to 43 of the trial, called to, stands, called to the stand are Ratliff's nanny, a family friend of the Ratliff's, and a personal friend of Elizabeth to discuss Elizabeth's death. Okay. The similarities were so similar, it, it literally could have been the same case. Like, Holy it was cow, like, man. Yeah. Following a court-ordered exhumation of Elizabeth's body, a second autopsy was done was conducted by Dr. Radish in April of 2003, um, and she concluded that she had died due to blunt trauma of the head. Mm. And she rules Elizabeth's death as a homicide. Oh my gosh! So we're four I'm months. So excited about this! I know. So we're into the trial. Uh, a forensic scientist named Henry Lee examines the blood spatters, and then on day 46 and 47. Of the trial, he shows he shows the jury different scenarios regarding the blood spatter. He testifies his observation shows that findings are not consistent with an accidental falling, but completely. But so he says he says his findings are consistent with an accidental falling, but cannot completely exclude that Kathleen was not beaten. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so uh, <clears throat> prosecution's like like hammering him, and he's just the wording that he uses. And you'll see if you watch the staircase, mm-hmm. it's just like but you're not confirming that this didn't happen. He's like, no. So. Gotcha. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Mm. So Kathleen's sister, Lori, shows her other sister, Catherine, documents that she found at the Duke University Library Private University Archives, um, and those include transcripts of Michael's stories containing verbiage stating you cannot kill without being unaffected and that he's an aberrant personality, is pure wicked and incapable of moral action. Um, so these are all in, like, transcripts that's Michael that mm-hmm. Michael has written. Um, the sisters make copies of the transcripts and they like want to deliver it to the prosecution, but I guess they can't unless Michael's called to the stand to testify. So they're like sitting on this information and they're like real fired up about it. Yeah. Day 49 of the trial, Dr. Ferris Bandak. We'll see. I don't think I pronounced that right, but it's Mm -hmm. fine. Um, he's an injury biomechanics expert and he's called to the stand to testify, um, and basically, they recreated the scene to provide the jury with examples of scenarios of a fall being possible, realistic, and likely, mm-hmm. is what he says. So people are expressing their thoughts at this point about the lack of emotion that the defense is showing um, in the case. And they're basically just like, science, science, science. Right. So on day 50 of the trial, the jury is able to visit the scene. So we are... This is another thing, like, the entire time that I'm thinking to myself, we're 50 days in, okay? Right. Into this trial, which is two years after. Yeah. A year and a half. Well, two years, because we're 50 days in. Two years after the death of Kathleen, mm-hmm. there's still blood on the walls and on oh, the floor. Gosh. There's oh, my still gosh. There's still blood. But in this documentary, they're all still in that goddamn house. Michael is still in that house. No. How in How the do you world live there? Could you stay there? <clears throat> I mean, Ow. oh my God! Yeah, with the blood. Yeah. Oh no, thank you. And no, I no, just I mean, every time you walk past it, wouldn't you just picture her there? Yeah, especially and I mean, even if it was an accident. Yeah, I don't know. 
That's just one thing that came. Especially if it was an accident. Because yeah, you actually care and love them. <laughs> yeah, continuously rolling through my head during most of this. Oh. <laughs> so, um, there was one reporter allowed on the scene while the jurors, jurors were there. His name was Demoris Lee. And he told other reporters that a lot of the jurors were most interested in the blood spatter, saying mm-hmm. they all took notes. And several of them actually went up three or four steps to see if you could fall backwards and, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, two days later, the blow pokes found. No. Yep. Where'd they find it? Michael's son, Clayton, tells David Rudolph, who's Michael's lawyer, that he looked in the garage at the car and then looked at the trunk and looked beside the trunk because that's where the tools were. And that's when he saw the blow poke sitting there. Okay. So it had been hidden and then obviously brought back. Right? Come on. So <clears throat> Clayton then went and got Margaret, brought her over to make sure, like, that's what he was seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they went to get Michael. So Michael says that they were freaked out. Margaret got the video camera out and the tape recorder, and then they called Todd, who's Michael's other son. The police showed up. Michael told them they couldn't come in until lawyers were present, and they waited until in the den until Todd arrived. The first concern was whether or not Todd put it there, and mm-hmm. then whether or not Clayton put it there. And both of the boys were like, no, we didn't, we didn't fucking right. Um, so David Rudolph and team at this point go and see the blowpoke, questioning how it got there and how it was missing the initial searches. Now, when they show it, it's kind of obvious. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. A professional photographer, this this whole entire situation is kind of... Mm-hmm. A professional photographer was hired to take pictures of the blow pokes, documenting spider webs, bugs, you know, blah, blah, right. blah. Uh, Todd is one of the people... This this is what gets me. Todd is one of the people who puts the blow poke in a protective case, along with Michael and Ron Garrett, who's a member of the defense team. It's not like... What? Deputies or sheriffs or an outside party is handling this. Right, right. Great. I mean, they're, like, not touching it at all. They're using, like, tools to move <sighs> okay, it. Okay, but, but Michael you know shouldn't better. be anywhere near that. You know better. Yeah. yeah. It's just, like, that That entire time mm. I was like, um, mm. question mark? Yeah, why is this being allowed? So, Timothy Palmbach, the DNA expert, is called back in the next morning to examine the blowpoke. Um, and also, side note, it looks like he's doing it in just, like, this random office. Shouldn't, shouldn't he have, like, taken it to his lab, like, his right. DNA lab? Yeah. Don't, don't they do that in, like, these real clean, meticulous white labs? I mean, <laughs> when you did the John Bonet thing, they were like, oh, you can get you can get DNA from, like, a worker on these clothing yeah. and, you know, transfer all this stuff. And they're just, like, popping it out, like, on their cubicle. Yeah. They're like, that's what literally what it looks like. Um, so he tells the team that the blowpoke is oxidized dirty and has plenty of dust and debris on it, but there's nothing that jumps out that there is or was blood on it. Uh, but they just they're like, we're going to use it as evidence. Mm-hmm. So day 52, the defense calls Detective Art Holland to the stand, bringing out the blowpoke and presenting it to him, comparing to, comparing it to the replica blowpoke that had been used as evidence earlier. The most recent blowpoke is missing a metal tip, but it's compared to be nearly the same as the replica. Mm. So it's missing this metal tip at the end, and this metal tip is slightly curved, slightly rounded. Okay. Now, basically just being like, um, hello— this little metal tip that could have the blood all over it is gone. Just speculating. Okay. You know, just yeah. speculation. It's missing. Yeah. Rudolph, uh, David Rudolph presents the spider webs, the bugs, the fact that the blowpoke doesn't appear to be mangled or dented. The jury examines the blowpoke, and DA Jim Harden told reporters that he was expecting, basically expecting mm-hmm. it. Caitlin, uh, Kathleen's daughter, gives an interview stating that she was am- able to am- examine the blowpoke during lunch, and it was definitely not the same. 
leaving speculation there and has oh. very distinct differences than the one her mother has or her that she remembers her mother having okay. or Candace <clears throat> presented. So it's just a different one altogether. Yes, is what Caitlin <gasps> says. Okay. So she goes on to say that even though this exists, it doesn't change the autopsy results. Mm-hmm. So day 55, uh, Candace, the sister, locates two of the other blowpokes she had given to friends and family and sends them to D.A. Harden, which he te- he brings it up in court, but he says they're not bringing it into evidence, um, but the defense can examine them whenever. So the defense examines them over what lunch, indicating that they match, um, and the defense moves, to, moves them into evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, on day 57 and 59 to 59 of the trial, the closing statements are given. The prosecution gives statements that they have never explicitly said that the blowpoke is what killed Kathleen, but it was something similar. So right. they never outright said it. Um, the conti- they continue about Michael being a fictional writer, bringing up Brad, asking the jury if they really think that Kathleen knew about Michael's bisexuality and was and was okay with it. Mm-hmm. Whether or not she knew about it, was she okay with it? Right. The defense gives their closing statement on whether or not the state has proven beyond reasonable doubt the with proof that fully satisfies and entirely convinces the jury that Michael beat Kathleen in that stairway. And then they present um, like a number of reasonable doubts that have come up throughout the entire trial, mm-hmm. ending their statement with replaying the 911 audio. So mm-hmm. Michael had one of the longest trials in North Carolina history. It was a total of five months. And on October 10th, night. 2003, not 10, I don't know where I was going to that. October 10th, 2003, after five days of deliberation, a Durham County jury found Michael Peterson guilty of the murder of Kathleen Peterson. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Michael was housed at the Nash Correctional Facility near Rocky Mount while in Nash. He continues his interview with the Staircase documentary crew, Mm-hmm. stating that his immediate reaction was just to end it. He didn't want to appeal. He didn't want, he just was like, all right, whatever. And he, okay. just, he said that everybody had suffered enough. But publicity begins to come out later near uh, around 2010. Publicity comes out about Dwayne Deaver, that bloodstain analyst that testified on his case. Mm-hmm. So on February 17th of 2010 in Raleigh, North Carolina, Greg Taylor was found innocent of the charge of first-degree murder of Jaquetta Thomas on September 26, 1991 by the North Carolina Court of Appeals. So Greg Taylor spent 17 years in prison after being sentenced to life in prison in 1993. The three-judge panel was centered around the testimony of Dwayne Deaver, who admitted to having misrepresented blood test results in the Taylor case. <sighs> SBI announced an internal investigation at the time. Mm. Um, Reporter for the News and Observer, Joseph Neff, interviewed one of the jury members of the Peterson case who said that Deaver's testimony was the most important piece of evidence presented at his trial, at Michael Peterson's trial. During the deliberations, they started off split about half and Mm half-ish. But the most powerful evidence that caused the jury to decide unanimously to convict Michael was the evidence that Deaver presented regarding the blood spatter on his shorts. <sighs> so David Rudolph finally realized that they might finally, that they may be able to prove that Deaver had done the same thing in Michael's case as he did in the Taylor case, basically mishandled right. the entire case. <laughs> Golly. Uh, so in this document, in the <clears throat> staircase, Michael, between episode one and at this point in the series, which is, I think this is about like six or seven episodes in, he looks completely different. Really? Like, way older. Like, he look. obviously, he's older. It's 10 years difference. But right. he looks like 
30 years older. Wow. And he's like hobbling and like he just you could tell that prison aged him for yeah. sure. Um and then the and I had made a note of this. It's like it's really uncomfortable at this point. I mean, we're in 2010, we have better video mm-hmm. quality, but it's it's really uncomfortable because the crew does these awkward, creepy shots uh-huh. of him like staring directly at the camera. And it's like this old, mm. this old kind of creepy looking guy Mm-mm. that could potentially be a murderer, right? Staring you down through the camera in like different scenes in this prison, oh, and God. it's 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 very uncomfortable. Yeah, no thanks. Um, so on December six, two thousand eleven, Michael's now sixty eight years old, which he looks eighty. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> all of his appeals thus far have been denied, and this may be the le- this is like the last opportunity for them to prove his innocence. So at this point, Clayton is married and he has a kid. Mm-hmm. Margaret is married as well. Um, Martha lo- just looks older. I mean, mm-hmm. she was a teenager at the time, and now she's like in, in her late twenties. Right. Like it's just it's kind of right. cool to watch. They're they're changing. Right. And Todd is a hunk. Really? Like, he is fucking hot. What's their what's their last name? Peterson? Todd Peterson. Let's look like, that he up. He is in the be- in the very beginning, he's he's not like kind of cute, you know. Mm-hmm. But at the at the end of this, it's like Jesus Christ. <laughs> Those that jaw, that jawline. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, like I mean, this come one. on. <laughs> yeah, he's he's very, very attractive. All right. Um, like he's on a soap opera. Yeah. Yeah, he's like that. Yeah, he's yeah. like dropped it gorgeous. Um, so the DA's office has obviously had turnover. Uh, DA Jim Harden is now a superior court judge and has been replaced by Tracy Klein as a DA. Um, Michael gets the same judge, Judge Hudson, and David Rudolph and his team come back to defend Michael on a pro bono case because he is now broke. Uh, the hearing's purpose, this, oh, the, so basically this entire trial, like this entire like little segment of this, Thing, mm-hmm. is basically the defense like demolishing Deaver's testimony and evidence. Okay. And that's like all it is. It's not like Michael's innocent. Blah, 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 blah. It's right. like Deaver's wrong. <clears throat> Deaver's a terrible person. Blah, blah, blah. So it's just like, okay, whatever. All right. On December 14th, 2011, after hearing all these arguments, Judge Hudson prevent, permits Michael a new trial. Okay. Like like a new trial, new trial to like, determine his innocence. Not wow. just like... And appeal like like brand new brand trial. new trial. Yep, brick. In an interview in a holding cell, it's the first time in the documentary where we actually see Michael cry. Mm. Yeah, which kind of is like, yeah, all right. But and he tears up a little bit, like when they're playing the nine one one call in the initial trial level. But mm-hmm. he never like, and obviously they only show it's only a total of like eight hours worth of right. things when this thing lasted five months. Right. However, just sign up. <laughs> um, the next day, Judge Hudson releases Michael under house arrest on $300,000 bail. David Rudolph presents Michael with his options regarding his new trial. He can enter a no contest plea, um, which is obviously he's not arguing with whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and an Alford plea, which is where he pleads guilty, but not because he's guilty. It's just he doesn't want to go through the new trial. He just is done with it. Mm-hmm. Or he can go to trial and the jury can decide his fate. So Michael agrees to an Alfred plea as long as it's not written that he is specifically pleading guilty. It's he like he does not want to be he does not want to say that he's guilty anywhere. Okay. He's and he's like <clears throat> adamant about it. 
Um, he just doesn't want to go through trial again. Doesn't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. He's 70 years old. You know. I get that. Uh, two and a half years go by. And on July 10th, the judge grants his freedom from house arrest. So he's on house arrest for almost three years, which Dang. is a, um, I don't remember her title, but she says, like, this is the longest anybody's been on house arrest in like, <gasps> this county. <laughs> like, this is a real Golly. long time. So he sets him free from house arrest. At some point, uh, the DA denies the Alford pre- plea agreement that they had presented because Kathleen's sisters are like, nope, mm-mm, this guy does not get to go free. Um, so... Since they offered that, the only thing to do is to go back to trial. Because I think the no contest plea is like him pleading guilty. Mm -hmm. Um, The Alfred plea was like the only kind of in between. Right. And then, but they, so they're like, we can't do that. So we have to go to trial, I guess. Um, David Rudolph, his lead attorney, who was his lead attorney in the original trial. And now he pulls out and is like, I can't. He's like, I cannot do it anymore. Wow. Um. But he recommends Mike Klinkasem, who is the attorney that represented Greg Taylor, the guy that got um, acquitted. Uh, no, is acquitted exonerated. the word exonerated? exonerated. There we go. <clears throat> uh, but two weeks before they're set, set to argue uh, the the motion to just completely dismiss the case, Mike, the attorney, suffers from a stroke. So his oh. second chair, Mary Jude Darrow, takes over the case. On November 14th, 2016, a Superior Court judge denied his attempt to have the murder charge against him dismissed, and a new trial was set for the following May, so for May of 2017. In this clip, I have a note. It says, it says, drives a smart car. Michael Peterson pulls up to this goddamn courthouse courthouse in a goddamn smart car. (laughs) You drive a smart car. (laughs) Like, fuck. Um, So February 24th, 2017, Michael enters an Alfred plea to voluntary manslaughter, which is a class D felony. Basically, mm-hmm. he gets notification that Kathleen's sisters are like realize are like, at least he's pleading guilty. Right. You know? So they let him whatever. So he enters this Alfred plea for voluntary manslaughter. He's sentenced to 64 months minimum to 86 months maximum, but is given credit for his mm-hmm. eight and a half years previously served, which is more than yeah. 86 months. Yeah. So, he's free. Oh, my God. Now, I have one last thing. There's this theory. Okay. That people believe. Reddit, it's gonna is, sound, is it Reddit people? Tell me. Just say it. Yeah, some Reddit people believe. Yeah, okay. And it's, it's freaking insane. Okay. okay. It's called the owl theory. Oh, Jesus. Hit um, me with it. This was originated with a lawyer named Larry Pollard, who happened to be the Peterson's next-door neighbor. And he didn't come up with it until, like, five days before the closing argument. So they couldn't do anything with it. Okay. So, basically, the theory is, Kathleen was heading back into the Peterson's house when an owl silently swooped down and struck her head. Digging its talons deep into her scalp, um, she moved inside to escape the bird, leaving that those drops of blood outside. She'd been drinking. There were muscle relaxers and an, anti, an anti-anxiety medication in her system. So, she was woozy, whatever. Okay. Obviously scared, she headed upstairs, presumably presumably to tend to her wounds, wounds, slipped, fell backward, blacked out, and bled to death. Sometime later, Michael had entered. He was earshot outside, without, no, out of earshot outside. He came inside and then obviously found her and called, mm-hmm. you know. Was the owl wearing his shoes, too? And did the owl <laughs> clean up the blood splatter? 
Give me a break, Reddit. So the most compelling evidence in favor of the owl theory that people just believe. <laughs> Microscopic owl feathers were found along with some of her own hair in her hand. Um, the lawyer told the Durham TV station that hair was pulled out from the root of her head. Mm-hmm. Uh, he theorizes that Kathleen had yanked out her own hair to try and dislodge the owl. So like, you know. Right. And second, the wounds themselves look like they were made by claws in a trident pattern of roughly equal depth. There are a number of experts that believe this. I watched a Netflix. Netflix's YouTube page posted an owl mm-hmm. theory thing. And there's like three or four quote unquote experts that are like, yeah. And this, Al did yeah. it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, in a Insiders Weekly, something like it's one of those news news organizations. Yeah. They do a story on it. Um, And wildlife expert Brian Robinson says that owls, if threatened, they could Mm -hmm. could do that. But basically, they just, I guess, I think he called it raking, where they basically rake their talent. They'll just, like, brush their talents to kind of be like, "Mm, I got talents. I could could hurt you. Um, And, yeah, so it's basically just tracing their talents over a surface. And he says it could cause some scratching, maybe even some bleeding. I mean, Christopher poke, barely pokes his finger, and he's, like, gushing blood for 45 minutes. Oh, my word. It takes me a minute to bleed, you know. If, yeah, so if no. you barely get scratched, you could bleed. Mm-hmm. But he also says it's very highly unlikely for someone to get hurt so severely by an owl. Right? So there's, like, <sighs> and so for me. Have you ever seen an owl up close? They're, I mean, at the they're, zoo? Terri- they're terrifying <laughs> to, to have them up close to you, like, with nothing. Especially if they're in, like, a threatening, <clears throat> like, yeah. You know, but so for me, the microscopic owl feathers, she was outside sitting at the pool. She leans back against the chairs that they were sitting right. in. She gets owl feathers in her hair. Hello. Right. And I mean, you, she may not have even noticed there mm-hmm. was, they said microscopic owl yeah, feathers. I was, yeah. And so, you know how we are constantly touching our hair, like moving oh, it out all of our the time, face, yeah. especially if I'm sitting outside having a drink, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to be like flipping my hair a little bit. Yeah, and they say, so the barred owl is common in the area that they Mm -hmm. live in. So they're like, (laughs) and I guess barred owls are like the most defensive Mm -hmm. owls of the, this is all all off my memory, which we know is not great. No, it's fine. So they're like, the barred owl is like the most like aggressive of them. And Mm -hmm. owls are very territorial. So if they, if she got close, if somebody gets close to a nest, they freak out. I mean, I've been chased by a goose. They're scary too. my fear of birds. So like, you're afraid of birds. Oh, terrifying. Me too. I love you. you. If you get close to a mother animal's nest. Yes. Or birthing area or whatever, they get defensive. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, all in all, Yes. There are things that lead to it. Very well, could have been a goddamn owl, it and we're been all an just owl. like these sweet little baby angels, cute looking things, right? A tag, like it's. It all sounds so ridiculous. It could be. Okay. It could have been a goddamn chipmunk for all we like. Yeah, right, things happen. Anything could have happened. Yeah, but <laughs> I personally, and I mentioned when I first started watching uh-huh. on the podcast that. This series 
has you going back and forth. Yeah, between, you said that. Oh, he's he very well could be innocent. I went in thinking he was guilty. Right. I came out thinking he was guilty. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, but there were a couple times where I was like, ooh, maybe not. Mm. So it's just, I highly recommend it. The beginning is very slow. Once you get into the trial is where it picks up. At least for me, it picked up there because I guess that's that's the part that I was like, that's what you're about. into. Yeah. Um, and the one thing that I think just really keeps me from being like, he he very mm-hmm. he, maybe he was innocent, was the position that Kathleen is laying in at the bottom of the stairs, and the amount of blood. Mm. Yeah, I just find that, it because yeah, that that stair picture. Yeah, it does not seem no. And <clears throat> I meant I didn't mention this, but she has she has claimed to have fallen from like three or four stairs up. Not the top of the stairs. Oh, my gosh. Then no way. Yeah. She wouldn't have even gotten enough momentum to slide that far out of the yeah. stairs. So it's just, we'll never know. Mm-hmm. We will never know. I wish, oh, it's, it was, I don't know. I just don't know. It's a very rough and tough case. Yeah. And I, I ended up, so I finished the series yeah. And I was like, I'm going to do this. And then, so I went back and kind of, I didn't like rewatch the entire thing, but I went and got those like dates. Yeah. And like day 40 of the trial, like, you know, I went and got mm-hmm. the landmarkers of the, tr- of the case and pulled out the, the main details and stuff. And then I watched a forensic file. I watched the forensic files mm-hmm. on it. I did, I watched the owl theory video on YouTube. I watched two or three more videos on, of like David Rudolph's interviews, on, right? Like I, you guys, I did so much research on this all day. Oh on my Sunday. gosh! Was, uh, excuse me, it was insane. I will I never ever it. do that much more research. I can guarantee you that that was a lot. But it was very interesting. It was that was a really good story. You did a great job with it. It's just like <clears throat> I just want to know what happened. Like, did yeah. she did she fall down the stairs and some freak thing happened? Did she get attacked by somebody else? Did a goddamn owl attack her? And I mean, that woman... Or did her husband? The woman that had... He's already been the last person to see some woman who's... Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Her, his shoe print was on the back of her. Yeah. Yeah. It's that just... Blood was cleaned up. Mm-hmm. Owls can't do that. It's just wild. I just don't understand any of it. And oh I would really gosh. like... No. Maybe we'll get a deathbed confession. Maybe. You want to go see if we can speed it along? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Oh my gosh. Maybe we shouldn't put that out there because if in like Just the next, if in like the next week he like declines and like dies, and, and they're gonna be, be like, like <laughs> and Owl did it. Yeah, I mean like it wasn't me. It was like his Owl. Search his body for owl feathers. <laughs> He'll have them because he's probably sitting outside in his chair where there's owl feathers mm. flying around. You know how many microscopic things are on your body right now? I mean, so many. That don't belong there? Mm, I don't like that. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. This is oh, a really God. long episode. What? How? I mean, I... Um, we're at an hour and 44 minutes of recording. When so we... So there's probably at least <laughs> 10 minutes that of, like, stuff that I can't put in here due right. to confidentiality purposes. <laughs> When we started, I looked at, when you started your story, I looked at the clock and I was like, oh, we're not making it to the noon class today. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. My bad. That's fine. I want to eat food and be lazy anyway. Mm. Um, so um, my, yeah, tell me. No, no okay. you go first. 
My it was not exciting. My aunt, who's since passed, and she didn't fall down any stairs. Um, <clears throat> she had a run in with an owl. Ugh. Yeah. So when you said that, and I was like, "Have you seen an owl up close?" So she lives in. She used to live in this little like apartments for older people, mm-hmm. and um, the back patio was like as big as this counter, maybe yeah. smaller. You yeah. know, just a little cement um, area, and. So, like, from here to that monitor, 10, 12 feet, an owl had landed on her, like, fencing. And Mm -hmm. she was at her back door, so, like, 12 feet away from this owl. And when she didn't realize it because she was blind, that's why she lived in an older folks area. Mm -hmm. And, um, well, she's partially blind. Yeah. She had opened her screen door, and the owl, like, raised up, like, what the fuck you doing? And she had a glass of iced tea because— That's just how we be. Yeah. You know, it was like six. It was darkish. Like the sun was coming up six something in the morning, but she already had her iced sweet tea. She was ready. (laughs) She was ready for the day. And she had opened it and she threw the tea with all the ice cubes and everything at the owl. And she said it like fell over and Mm -hmm. then immediately like took off. And she was like, she told that story for months because it scared the shit out of her. Like, and I was like, (gasps) How big was the owl? How close did it get to you? Like, that was terrifying to me. So, I mean, an owl would scare the shit out of you, but Mm -hmm. it also can't wear tennis shoes. Correct. Or kill someone 20 years previously in the exact similar fucking manner. Or attack somebody that drastically and not leave, like, extra feathers. Like, real big feathers. Not microscopic feathers, but real big feathers. Wouldn't you you have seen, like, a—what do they say? Obviously, it was, like, a— what is it called? What am I trying to say? Not a strangle. A struggle. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Not, Not a strangle. strangle. <laughs> <laughs> um, my goose story real quick. Ooh. So when I was like, I don't think my brother was born yet. So I had to have been. So the golden like years. Seven or eight. Okay. Maybe, maybe younger. Maybe just slightly older. My brother was born when I was nine. So had, it was younger than nine. But okay. not like toddler. Okay. So my grandparents lived on a lovely piece of property. They had they lived on the St. Joseph River, and they had a big pond. Mm-hmm. And obviously, with a pond, you have it was a like a big pond, like it was like a small lake. Right. So with that, you obviously have ducks and geese and stuff. Yes. But my grandpa treated it and like kept it nice. So we didn't. He didn't want poop in it all the time. Yes. So we would we would shoot at shoot at them with BB guns. Oh my god. Or we would go like go around and like chase them off, right? You know, and I don't think we we didn't ever kill any of them. You just scared them FYI. away. We were just scaring them away, just You're shooting to scare them away, startling them, making them think yeah. it's a bad neighborhood. So my grandpa sent me out. He's like, "Hey, there's geese on the other side. Will you go chase them away?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, sure." So I ran after them, and little did I know there were baby geese, <gasps> like. Four feet away from me, like oh, literally, no. like right here, yeah. and the mama goose like went up and ran after me. Hiss, <gasps> geese hiss. Yes, they do. And ran after me, and ever since then, I've been traumatized. Oh my god, <laughs> birds. Yeah. Geese, geese. But I'm better than I was. Like every year, I get better and better. But like geese, not with geese. Geese scare the shit out of me. I will walk ten miles out of my way to yeah. avoid geese. No, I and get that. I just. Birds in general scare me. I can't do like bird exhibitions at the zoo. Mm-hmm. That's not happening. I've got, I've been. We were at, my grandparents got divorced and my grandpa lives out in the country now, and they've got a big, really pretty tree mm-hmm. that um, there was a bird in a couple summers ago, and it swooped down and I had my hair up in a big messy bun, swooped oh, down no. and tried to get, and that scared the shit. I just 
Oh, I do God. not do birds. I don't. I just do not. They scare the shit out of me. But the little parking lot birds, the little fat, floofy ones. You like those? That you see in the parking lot? Mm-hmm. I don't want to be near them, but they're cute. I think those ones are cute. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, I won't park in a parking spot if there is, like, if my windows are down, I'll roll them up. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I totally, yeah. yeah. No. Mm-mm. I'm not a bird person Terrifying. at all. I will also not go into the little bird exhibits at the zoo. I will wait on the other side for you, children. Enjoy. Yeah, I yeah. hope you have your eyeballs when you come out of there because mm-hmm. I can't save you. I'm not I'm not taking you to the hospital if you don't. <laughs> it's your fault. <laughs> no. But, yeah. See if the bird will take you. Yeah. Anyway. Um, about broke my neck Do you neck guys have any irrational fears? If so, let us know. Please. Because let's just all embrace this insane world. <laughs> is Is being afraid of birds irrational, though? I mean, it I could, it could have murdered freaking— Kathleen Peterson. Yeah. I have a very rational reason because it one chased after me and was going to kill me. Yeah, to protect its baby. So it was yeah. going to get you. Yeah. So do you have any <laughs> rational and or irrational fears? Um, I now close my closet door because my daughter said that something from another dimension is going to come no, out quit. of my mirror. Stop. And I was like, hey, um, I sleep alone in that place. And she's like, yeah, so you better close that closet door. And I'm like, gosh, because there's a mirror hanging on it. She said, something from another dimension okay, is going to well, watch me sleep or come out of it. Uh-huh. So I can't leave it open now. And now I also have to shut my bathroom door because there's a mirror that I can kind of see from my bed. I, yeah, thankfully I don't have any mirrors that I can see from my bed. That bathroom so gets hot bed. with the door closed all oh, night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. God. No, mm. What else? What other? I'm mm. afraid of clowns. I don't like clowns. Are you? I'm mm. not afraid of clowns. It's more, I'm way better than I was. Mm-hmm. Way better. Because, like, this past Halloween, we went to Nightmare on Edgewood with yeah those guys. With those other ones. Uh-huh. And I I love, I and I think I've said it here, too. I mm-hmm. say it every all the time. But I love being scared, but not by myself. Yeah. So haunted houses, I will do haunted houses. I'll go goddamn ghost hunting. Ooh. I'll walk through a cemetery at witching hour. Somebody better be holding my hand, though, and it better not be a ghost. <laughs> better be a real person. But I can do, I can handle that kind of stuff as long as I have something, someone there with me. Right. You know? And it can be a complete stranger. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Maybe not a murderer stranger, but. Maybe. A nice stranger. <laughs> but so we went to Nightmare on Edgewood, and at one point in, in their mm-hmm. spiel, they separate the guys and the girls. Now, our other female coworker uh-huh. that would have been there with me was like, nope. She said no, so you had to go by yourself. And then there were there was another female there because mm-hmm. it was during the, was the group thing, right? Okay, um, that she went with, us. and she went with Joanna, who went with the guys. So I was like, I'm doing it, and I walked through all by myself, and there were clowns in there. Oh, and I was so proud of myself because I was like, nope. Good job. I don't want it's making me like real nervous right now just thinking about it. I don't think I could do it again. But I was real proud of myself. Maybe it was just the liquid courage I had in my system. But I went to Nightmare on Edgewood. I right? I went after Halloween though. Was that the one I went to? Because they have a bunch of different haunted house setups. I don't remember where you went when you I think you did. Yeah, Yeah. I think so. Because they separated. Yeah, we had tickets. They separated me and I was like, (gasps) Yeah. I don't like I went because they were like you know, they kind of go, and I go, oh, really? Like, yeah. oh, I really have to? Because I was legit by myself. Yeah. 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 Ooh, I was, by, my, I was yeah. by myself. And I did it. I was so proud of myself, but I don't ever want to do it again. Good but for yeah, you. I, the Indie Screen Park 
has mm-hmm. a all it was like a killer clown exhibit <gasps> where you walk through and I I almost came out crying at the Ooh. end because I was so scared. Yeah. So it was like I guess maybe there wasn't any clowns in the nightmare on Edge One One where I was no by there myself, were but it was I was I was there were by clown myself. areas though there yeah yeah, yeah. but. Then the Andy Screen Park one had a full clown, and I was I was done for. I held that was when I bruised Christopher's arm because I was holding on so tight. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm afraid of birds and clowns. Okay, and being alone in the dark outside. Yeah, well, that's like a real thing, though. Yeah. The reason that I'm that I have I have logical I don't know why I'm afraid of clowns I'm just afraid of them okay you know I don't That's have a, I don't have a logical reason. they can be creepy and scary yeah but the reason I'm afraid of that is because when we lived out in the country my dad would make me take the trash out mm. and we had a real long driveway living out in the country with no streetlights taking the trash out at seven o'clock at night and or six o'clock in the morning when I'm waiting for the bus right very terrifying okay so I have kind of always lived out of town mm-hmm. um, where there are no streetlights. Yeah. And uh, when I was pregnant, my like my fears like were heightened for some mm-hmm. reason, okay, you know. Great. Yeah, it, prepare <laughs> for that whenever that happens. Um, and I used to make my uh, fiance talk to me on the phone while I drove the mile and a half down the road. Mm-hmm. I would call him on my cell phone, which we barely had service, and he yeah. would know that it was me because he could barely hear me. Um, and I would, before I would leave the house, before I'd open the back door to leave, I would get in my car, drive all the way until we till I got to the fire station, volunteer fire station, because it had a big, um, it had a pole barn and a big light. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I, I'm at the fire station now. And he'd be like, okay. I was so sick of it. But I didn't care because it was scary. Yeah. And the dark is scary. Yeah. I'm, I don't feel like this is an irrational fear, but robots, I don't. Especially like robots today. Yeah. Tomorrow. <laughs> robots yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. So I don't like robots. No, thank you. Keep that bullshit over there. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Let us yeah. know your irrational fears. Please. Uh, you can find us at Off Air with EP everywhere. That's your website. Your Twitter. We don't have Twitter. Your Instagram, your Facebook. Everywhere. Everywhere. Everywhere, but Twitter. <laughs> and tell oh your friends. Tell your friends. And I love hearing from my friends who are like, hey, I caught up on your stuff. Because you know how, like, you you listen to a few at a time? Yeah. I had, uh, I've had a few people message me like, hey, I'm all caught up. You guys should do this one. Or, hey, I'm all caught up. You guys are good. And I love that. Oh, thank you, guys. You can even say, hey, I'm all caught up. And you guys suck. Yep. Never listening again. That's fine, too. Um, but I, I, at least we know you listened. Caught up on my favorite murder. Are you? all caught up. Wow. Now I'm catching back up on True Crime Garage. <laughs> yeah, I'm hitting the True Crime Garage pretty yeah. hard right now. So. so, yeah, that is today's extra long episode. It is extra long. Um, come be our friend everywhere. And Please. tell your friends to come be our friend. Mm-hmm. And tell your friends' friends. <laughs> tell your friends' friends' mother. Whoa, you talking about their mom? 